Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, audience. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Investment Group. Today, we are going to be having JC Castillo from our Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing podcast. I would like to welcome JC to the podcast. Hey, JC, welcome. Hey, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. So JC has, uh, what, right now around 725 units worth around 70 million and he has bought and sold like 1,000 over units. And he primarily focuses in DFW and he's in the Bay Area. So did I get all your facts right, JC? Yeah, you got them just about right. That's right. So uh, do you want to tell our audience about, uh, you know, how did you get started? You know, how's your company structure? Because your company structure is very interesting for me, right? So why not go ahead and do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, how I got started in the in the multifamily business. Um, I have an engineering degree, um, and I've been working in the technology sector um, in a past life um, for about fifteen to twenty years in semiconductors. And uh, somewhere along the way, I always had a big passion for real estate. Pretty early on in my semiconductor career, I started buying uh, single family rentals in the Silicon Valley area. And realized that I, I needed to be able to scale it a lot better because I was so busy with work that managing uh, single families wasn't all that easy. So I started um, just going to a lot of you know networking events, real estate clubs and whatnot, asking a lot of questions of people. And I found out about apartments and um, found out that they were a lot more scalable. And so, you know, I read everything I could, got my hands on all kinds of books and went to lots of different uh, seminars and trainings and uh, networked with a bunch of the local um, investors here in the Silicon Valley, and originally actually wanted to. I had sold a couple of my single-family homes. Originally wanted to buy an apartment complex here in San Jose, and I did all the numbers, and it just uh, you know it was negative cash flow um, pretty much from the beginning. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to buy for uh, for equity because there's no cash flow, I'd, I'd rather just keep buying homes because I think homes in the Silicon Valley are better equity drivers um, than an apartment complex. So that led me to really look outside of California for cash flowing uh, apartment investments. And I did a lot of research and everything was telling me that Texas was a great area to go. I mean, this was back in like 2004 and five. And so, you know, after a little bit of research and, and some time passed, um, about 2006, seven, I was ready to kind of go and take my money out to Texas and get it going. And so kind of that's how um, I got started. And that's kind of how uh, my company was born. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I was in a Bay Area a couple of days back and I'm meeting some of my investors. It's just so crazy, the prices there I am. And uh, I mean, one of the investors asked me, you know, why not you buy this area? I said, I, I like to make money from thin air. I said, then they asked, <laughs> how is that? I say, I like my tenants to pay for my mortgage, right? So, which means I want it to be cash flowing, right? And I still get cash flow on top of it. I pay the mortgage and get cash flow. So, whereas 
if you buy in bay area or even in la i mean a lot of a coastal city just the cap rate is so low you know you basically it's appreciation play which means you buy the deal and you pray that's going to go up right yeah and you know and look i'm not here to tell you or tell anybody that investing in real estate in california is not a is not a good thing it's actually a very very good thing i mean i own uh, personal homes here in california in various places and uh, and they've been uh, great investments for me but they're not cash flow investments they're equity mm-hmm. plays and so over the 10 20 30 years absolutely it's been phenomenally great um including any of the single family rentals that i had in the past um but i like to buy single family homes here in an equity state and i like to buy cash flowing properties uh for apartments in other um more cash flow uh, uh yielding uh places like texas so that's that's kind of my investment philosophy got it got it so you started like in 2006 2007 so at what point of uh, your life was that were you working at that time and how did you get that aha moment okay i need to invest in real estate <laughs> yeah well um you know when i uh in 2001 uh and you would know this James you you I think you're an ex tech guy you know there was the whole technology bubble burst and um I was uh you know several years out of college in a professional uh working environment got laid off from a an engineering job and that really caused me to do a little bit of reset re- reflection in 2001 after September 11 hit and that's kind of where I had my aha moment if you will and right around that time I read Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki which changed my perspective on things as did I know a lot of other people and um it taught me about you know assets and liabilities first and foremost right assets put money in your pocket liabilities take money out of your pocket and i realized that even though i had been a young guy that had been successful and and bought my own single family home really it wasn't putting money into my pocket because it was a liability i had to pay the mortgage every month so Long story short, I decided that I was going to start uh investing in rental real estate as uh as I got back into uh my next technology job, you know, once the sort of 2001 recovery happened. And um and that's what I did ever since then. I was like, look, you know, real estate rentals are going to be what the thing that I'm going to do is, and I'm pretty passionate about it anyways. I always liked real estate. So that's exactly kind of how I got started on my path, right? And I worked all the way up at my job until 2011 uh which is is when I effectively left um my W2 uh semiconductor job I actually also uh helped start another company up with a couple of my other buddies from my ex tech knowledge company and so we did a startup company that was successful as well um and we did that from about 2012 to uh to 2018 actually the company's still going but I'm no longer part of it so Um I I like to work really hard James I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, crazy right you're a tech guy I mean I didn't know uh, until we talked uh, what few months back on how much similarity we have I used to be in the semiconductor industry as well so why not you looked at stock at that time I mean uh, stock used to be like I mean a lot of engineers like for me I was like intrigued with stocks I was almost said uh, let me let me solve the the worldwide puzzle here of stock market right so did you try that as well Yeah, definitely. In my younger years, I mean, I I I I took the uh I took the, I drank the Kool-Aid like everybody else. You know, I was in love with um the stock market um and I saw tech stocks going up nightly, you know, every day going up like gangbusters. So it was like, okay, let's let's pick Broadcom, let's pick Cisco, let's pick, you know, all these other tech stocks that were going to make us, you know, all multimillionaires. And 
it was kind of a wild ride because there would be some big ups and then there would be some big downs. And so it just got really frustrating because I would find myself thinking about how our stocks was doing every day and sort of checking in on E-Trade account and, and seeing whether I had made money or lost money. And I just said, you know, look, it's not worth it. I don't want to live like that. So, I, you know, I think what I've learned since then is, you know, look, I, I'm not here to say that the stock market isn't a great investment. I'm here, not here to say, I'm, I think what I'm here to say is that, you know, any uh, financial advisor that's, um, that's, you know, worth his, his salt is going to tell you that, you know, you should definitely have a good healthy mix of stocks, bonds, money market, and alternative assets, which real estate certainly fits the bill. And I think that, um, you know, uh, 10 to 20% is about what people recommend um, that are financial experts in terms of how, how much you should be allocated in to things like real estate. So I'm a big believer that people um, should never swing too much any one way, uh, make sure and be a little bit diversified. But certainly 10 to 20% at least um, in real estate is a good healthy number. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I I was intrigued with stocks as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all technical analysis. I did a lot of books reading and trying to solve and, you know, Japanese candlesticks books and all that. But I think it works with a lot of fear and emotion. I mean, it's fear and greed, right? It works with a lot of emotions, which is, you know, you can say numbers doesn't lie, but in the stock market, the numbers can be manipulated using fear and greed, right, by big institution. And that's where I got caught. Every time I go to my stock markets, I, I lose money. So Yeah. And the other thing too, I think the other thing that's important to understand is, you know, it's not just about how much you're making uh, before tax. One of the things that I think I'd made the mistake of as a, as a younger person was not fully understanding how to invest with maximum uh, tax sheltering and maximum tax advantage. And one of the things that I've seen with, with uh, real estate investing is that there's huge uh, tax incentives out there, um, everything legal that encourages you as a real estate investor to keep doing it. And there are extremely, especially now with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed um, and that went into effect in November of 2017, the, um, the benefits of the tax sheltering piece of real estate investing is, is extremely phenomenal. And so I think that the, you know, the real aha moment is not just that you can invest in real estate and make good cash flow, but it's that you can invest in real estate, make good cash flow, and not pay taxes on that cash flow that you're putting in your pocket. That's really amazing. Got it. Got it. Got it. So coming back to your transition from a W2 job to a full-time real estate uh, entrepreneur, right? So you said uh, you started in 2006, but only after quite a number of years. What? What? When did you uh, become a full-time person? Uh, 2012. Okay. So how, what were you thinking in, in 2012, <laughs> beginning January of 2012, what were you thinking? And when did you resign and what was that trigger that uh, allowed you? Well, you know, really the trigger was, um, is, is I, as I told you, um, I, I'm, I'm a slow and steady wins the race type of person. Uh, my investment philosophy is go long, not short. I always like to take the long route because I believe in taking as little risk as possible to get where you want to get. So, you know, I stayed uh, with my company and my job for a long time and maybe even longer than I needed to, because I also did another company with a couple of other buddies. Um, but what that did was that gave me a real stable base so that I was making, never taking any risk. And so uh, my route in real estate has never been to take big risk. And I apply that same philosophies to our company in the way that we, we buy properties and the way that we, um, 
We look to partner with investors. We are always going to take the lower risk path. Um, we're not just looking at um, yields and looking for the highest yields. We're looking for the highest mix of risk-adjusted returns. That's what we're looking for. Um, and so that is, um, I think, a fundamental piece of, of, of why my journey took a little bit longer um, in terms of transitioning away from a, a W-2 job. So did you have a goal of, uh, you know, certain income level, a certain percentage of your W-2? I mean, you don't have to tell me the percentage, but was there a goal that you decided if I hit this much income in real estate, okay, I'm going to go full-time into this. I'm, I'm okay to let go of my... Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I definitely had some numbers in mind. Um, and, and they were, they were based on obviously based on my cost of living. Right. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I was able to bring in enough, um, free cash flow that was greater than or equal to my cost of living, um, with some margin, then I was comfortable exiting. Right. And so I think that's an important consideration for anybody that's, that's doing this stuff. And, um, you know, you want to make sure, you know, you don't, need to be necessarily extra significantly positive, but you know, your cost of living, whatever it is, you know, you should, you should really be able to at least cover that. Got and it, I'm not talking it. about with like, you know, I'm talking about just with money coming in from rentals and whatnot, not talking about, you know, uh, all the other fees and whatnot that you, that you generate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I mean, I mean, just an advice to whoever listening, right. Sometimes you go for the weekend bootcamp and you think, you know, there's no point of working W-2 job. I mean, there's no such thing, right? I mean, real estate is awesome, but it takes time to get to a certain level of income. And, you know, especially if you have commitment in life, you know, just don't give up on your work and go into real estate. Take it slow and steady and, you know, it will, you will get there, right? I mean, there's a lot of learnings to be done in real estate anyway, right? You can't learn in a weekend bootcamp. Right? It's very, very wise words. And I hope that anybody out there would, would, um, would listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So you, now you are in uh, California, right? I mean, I don't know which year was this. So now you looked at Dallas, why Dallas flashed in front of your eyes? Why not Phoenix or Austin or Orlando or Tampa? Well, uh, Texas as a whole, uh, when I was doing my research, one of the big stats that jumped out to me was that in, um, I believe it was in 2008, um, it, Either two th I think it was 2008, um, Texas became the number two state in terms of number of Fortune 500 companies headquartered in the state. It actually surpassed uh, California. Um, and, and before that, I had seen a lot of data that was telling me that this, this, this transition was happening from a corporate side. And uh, from a corporate side, as we all know, you know Texas has a very uh, business-friendly uh, uh, state. And I also saw a lot of migration patterns that were happening that were uh, driving people away from the coastal areas, specifically California, and driving them to uh, Texas, also to Phoenix, but not in the sheer magnitude that they were going to Texas. So really, what, for me, what convinced me to go to Texas was the data, and it was the, um, the job growth, uh, the population growth. And the other thing that, that really convinced me was the quality of life that could be had in Texas for a relatively, relatively low amount of money. You could back in, you know, 2006, when I first started buying out there, you could buy a, a pretty decent home for 150 to $200,000 in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, now, of course, and you know, I had to decide, you know, it wasn't just Texas. It's where are you going to go in Texas? You can, you know, there's basically four major 
areas you can go. You can go to Houston, you can go to San Antonio, you can go to Austin, or you can go to DFW. I chose DFW because um, Houston to me was a little bit more of a oil-based economy. So I didn't like the being dependent on oil. If the oil was good, you know, everything's good in Houston. If oil goes bad, you know, it can be a little bit difficult. And Austin, I really, really like. I continue to love Austin. However, I always knew that Austin was like Silicon Valley. The dirt is is very expensive, so the cap rates are a little bit lower, so they don't cash flow quite as well. Um, but I still do like Austin, if I had to say, um, you know, second market in Texas. San Antonio is just sort of a little bit slow and steady. Um, there's really no significant job growth, at least not significant, you know, amazingly. Um, and, you know, there's steady, slow and steady population growth. So, you know, every, everything in San Antonio is hunky-dory for, for a long time, but there's no real like superstar momentum there. DFW, on the other hand, to me, had a lot of the characteristics that I felt was perfect for, uh, you know, an investment home for me. Because I wanted to be there, you know, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They've got a very diverse economy, um, lots of different job sectors, and they're tops in the nation for, for job growth, population growth consistently. And the quality of life there is, is very, very good. So, and there's, you know, 8 million people, uh, fourth largest metroplex in the nation behind, uh, you know, New York 1, LA 2, and Chicago 3. And actually, of those top three, they're all sort of net negative um, population. So, meaning they're losing people in Texas. Dallas Fort Worth is gaining. So, um, for all those reasons, you know, I've, I've, I thought back then that this would be a great um, place for us to go set up shop. And, and I haven't been disappointed. It's been a great run, to be honest with you. Got it. So now you decided on Dallas. What was the first step? I mean, I'm sure you. Did, did you have, who did you first establish contact with and how did you build your team? Yeah, you know, um, I was a big believer in, in uh, shadowing people. So I had a couple of friends uh, that I had met and gotten to know in the local Silicon Valley real estate circles who were buying apartments in Dallas. And so I would shadow them, uh, get on a plane and go with them when they would go check on their properties. And then they... Uh, because they saw that I was willing to do that, they took me around to the local uh, brokerage shops, you know, Marcus Miller chaps and all the other shops. And they introduced me um, to all the brokers. And because these guys were already doing deals and established um, when they, when the brokers met me, I, you know, I had a little bit of credibility, not much, but I had more than just if I had come in on my own uh, without them saying that I was a good guy. Um, so that's, the way that I got my start um, in the apartment world in Dallas, right? Coming from, coming from California. Got it. That's why I understand your business, you own the asset management, but you also own your own property management company. That's correct. Yeah. So, and we opened up shop in 2013. We, we've, we integrated the third party operations in house and we formed our own management company and we've been managing our own property since then. So that's really unique because I mean, even for me, we have our own property management company, but you know, we are here in Austin, San Antonio, right? So we are locals, but how did you do it from uh, California and then you establish a property management company and why did you decide to do that rather than a third party property management company? Well, the how and the why, the why I sometimes ask myself why <laughs> multiple times. Um, but I, but I know after getting through all the hard times and now that we've got a model that works really, really well, I know that it was worth it for us because we, um, we have a large degree of, of predictability by having operations in house. Um, 
I never uh, throw stones at third-party management companies because I've walked a mile in their shoes now. And I think it's a difficult business, even when you control it yourself. And I think that third-party managers, for the most part, are extremely good. Um, I don't, I'm not here to say that we have built a significantly better mousetrap, but what we do have is we have a mousetrap that we built. And so we know the process of how we go to market with it. We know what the numbers are. And so we have a high degree of predictability for our investors. At the end of the day, it's all about making sure that we deliver what we said we're going to do for our investors. And so the predictability piece that we have by having the operations in house for us is key. Um, how did I do it? Um, you know, it wasn't easy. I think that you have to look for a superstar person, um, that you can find that has enough, uh, talent to be able to, um, uh, sort of get this off the ground, um, in the local market that you've, that you've built, uh, your, uh, portfolio in. And I was fortunate enough to find, uh, that person, um, through a lot of hard work and some luck. And once I found that person, um, it, I knew that it was, it was going to work. And, and, and that was the big difference for me. And, it, and when you started in 2013, how many units did you have that you were convinced that you can have your own property? Management? It wasn't that many. I wouldn't even, I think we had maybe four properties, maybe five, five properties, something like that. Like a few hundred units, mm-hmm. five, yeah. six hundred. Yeah. Units. A few, okay. few hundred units. Yeah, that's right. So who was this first person that you have? What was that person's role? I mean, you don't have to name name, but I want to know the role that that person. I mean, they, 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 I mean, they were the VP of operations, right? VP of operations. Okay. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, everything related to operations was what they were responsible for. So you hired VP of operations and from VP of operation, they, the other person hired the rest of the crew. Like yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, look, we're, we're only 725 units currently. So uh, we don't necessarily have a bunch of regional managers working for our company. Yeah, and yeah. we're set up a little bit differently than sort of your traditional management companies. But um, what I will say is that um, you really need that, that foundational person, that foundational piece. Um, if you want to have a successful operation in any one given market okay got it but what was that aha moment in 2012 that you said okay i'm i can't do this anymore 2013 i'm gonna do my own property management what was that push over the cliff moment that you said okay i'm giving up on this you know uh, it wasn't i can't say that there was any one particular thing right um i think that it was always our strategy to open up our own shop because we wanted to make sure that um that we had a high degree of predictability within uh, the operations piece. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very valuable component for our investment partners. Um, being fully integrated um, doesn't mean much uh, unless it provides good predictability for returns. And what we've seen is that we've enjoyed a very, very high degree of predictability um, with, with having our own operations piece. So we're going to continue to, have that as part of our model, but at the same time, we're never completely committed to any one particular thing. So meaning that we're going to do, uh, we have a fiduciary duty to do what's best for our investors. And if at any given time, you know, we understood that, uh, our operations or our management piece, you know, wasn't the best strategy, then we would certainly look at, at divesting that piece. Um, I don't see that happening, but we're always open to making sure that we're doing the best thing for, uh, for our investors. So how frequent do you travel from California to Dallas to manage these uh, operations? Well, you know, I try to get out there. You know, my wife will say, <laughs> will say I'm out there all the time. 
Um, and, and, and I sometimes look back at my calendar and go, yeah, I think she might be right. Um, but usually it works out to be about six to eight weeks, um, uh, a time, uh, is, is how long I'm out there. And I'm usually out there for a couple of days and I get back to, uh, to the home base. So six to eight weeks throughout the year, I guess. Right. 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 Okay. Got it. Got it. So you fly right. maybe like once a month or less than once a month, depends on. Need. Yeah. And, it, and it's really as needed too, because, um, you know, we have a, I have a pretty good system. So, I mean, I can draw, I can jump on a plane tomorrow morning and I can, you know, so it's really, it, it just depends. I get out there as needed, you know, immediately when needed. Okay. So let's go into the operation aspects, right? So you are in California, your operation management, the whole company is here. You have a VP of operations. You are sitting there. You're not coming to Dallas, right? So yeah. tell me like in a week, how would you manage this operation? Is it through Zoom calls, through weekly meetings, through properties? How, how do you do your asset management? Well, uh, first of all, asset management is handled by uh, um, a separate person at our company at multifamily okay. property group. So um, we do okay. have an asset management person. Okay. Um, and in terms of operations, uh, I think as you, you rightly pointed out, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we, we do with technology these days to make it pretty um, efficient to be managing from another state. Uh, Zoom meetings like what we're doing here is a great one. Uh, lots of phone calls, lots of emails. Um, and also, I'm a big believer in driving the company by um, key performance uh, indices um, and um, or indicators. And so KPIs for us are a big deal because we uh, we pretty much keep on top of the numbers from a day to day basis, and we we manage according to how the numbers are telling us to manage. And we go deep where we see that we're having issues with any one particular area, um, and so. You know, we have we have a pretty structured way about how we monitor uh, what's happening on the operations piece, and everybody's got a pretty strictly defined set of roles and responsibilities, which kind of helps keep everything in motion. Even though I'm not uh, in the Dallas area, got it. So, how frequent do you look at your financials? How frequently do we look at it? I mean, almost every day. Okay, good. So, when yeah. you look at every day, what what are the KPIs that you look for? Well, the properties in the right directions or not. Yeah, the the big ones we're going to track are you know income to budget. Um, we're going to track um, expenses to budget, especially repairs and maintenance, and capex, uh, capex to budget. We're going to track we're going to track um, uh, current vacancy, and we're going to track future vacancy. We're also going to pay strict attention to um, resident retention. How many people are actually renewing their leases? One of the things on the operational piece that we've learned along the way is that, um, you know, you have basically with a property, you've got a front door and you've got a back door. The front door is where you, you lease the new units and you bring the new residents in. And the back door is where you have people either renewing their leases after they've been there for a year or you have them leaving your property. And, you know, we, we like to talk about closing the back door. Um, because if we can get people to renew their leases, that is worth literally thousands of dollars in expenses um, and vacants, vacancy and marketing uh, to, our, uh, to our profitability. So as in, I think as, um, as operators and as investors, we always want to think about buying a property and renovating it and filling it up with people. But we don't as much, um, but we should more care about keeping the people happy and, 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 and butts in the seats. 
because that's where we're really going to save our money once the property has been stabilized, right? It takes about 18 months to 24 months to stabilize a property once you buy it and create the value. But then if you're a long-term holder, like we are, you're holding the property for, for a long period of time. And that's really dependent on how well you operate, how well you provide customer service and, and, uh, and how well you can keep the people renewing their leases. Um, so for us, we really like to focus on resident retention. That's a really big deal for us. So I think, uh, I mean, I think resident retention is one of the most important thing that you guys look at, right? Uh, especially closing the back door. And can you tell us one to two things that you and your company does to make sure that people keep on renewing or motivated to renew? With your- yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the, it, it's important to focus on the, the, from a very high level, the, the really the most um, what should be obviously simple uh, strategies and have a, a, a process in place to make sure that it gets followed through. Like, for example, if there's a work order that's placed, following up with the person with a phone call, the customer and saying, hey, you know, was the work order done to your satisfaction? Um, you know, is there any, did you have a good experience? Is, is, you know, how did you feel about it? And um, that's a big deal because a lot of people that don't have work orders completed the right way are the ones that are going to end up leaving the property with a, a bad taste in their mouth. Um, and then a lot of people are actually surprised when we call them and, and they, they basically are, are, are just happy that we chose to call them and follow up. And that actually makes them so much more happier to begin with. So I think following up on work orders. Um, the other thing is um, following up after a move-in and making sure that the property, that the unit was uh, you know, fully functional. If there was something that was missed, making sure that you take care of it. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really important is when it comes time to renew, um, you need to give the resident uh, enough runway uh, uh, to listen to them when you want to call them to renew, because they're always going to have uh, some concerns, either if the rent's going up or something. But normally it's actually, a lot of times it's just, hey, you know, I've got a couple of things wrong with my unit and I need you to fix them. And so you've got to be able to, to actually talk to them and understand why they're frustrated and fix those things. And then they're willing to renew. So I think basic follow-up is really the key is following up with the resident on it, on some sort of a documented uh, frequency that enables you to uh, keep a pulse on how they're feeling about their experience. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I presume that most of the deals that you buy, you try to do value add on the department, right? I mean, you guys do renovation, you put in good management and, and, all the small uh, thing in the interior and exterior. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, uh, basically you got it right. So number one is acquire the deal at the right numbers. Uh, number two is uh, renovate, which includes exterior amenities and unit upgrades. And then number three is, is um, put a great operations team in place. And so those are sort of the three pillars um, of a successful um, investment, uh, and, and a successful life cycle of, of an investment for us at least. Got it. So what is the most valuable value add that you think in your mind that gives you the b- biggest bang for the buck? You know, I, I don't, I, I really couldn't point to any one thing. I, I, what I would say is that your, um, your upgrades to your units are really important. Um, because a lot of people get sort of jaded by the, 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 um, the exterior pops, like, you know, put some paint on the walls and stuff. Um, but I've, I've found that unit upgrades are really at the, the core of what you, you want to give in terms of your experience to the customers when they're walking through. 
And then the other thing that's really important is that there's a cohesive feel to the, the, the renovations that you do from the, um, the exterior, be it the, the painting or the amenities improvements. One of the things that I think people miss a lot, um, is that they, they, they put money into exterior items, but there doesn't seem to be a cohesive feel. It doesn't feel like a, like a, like a clean unified vision for what you wanted to present to the customer. And, and I think that's a big deal. It goes all the way down to the color schemes and it goes down to the signage and how that matches with the colors and how it matches with the amenities and also how it flows into the leasing office, you know, do the colors and the, and the, the vision and the, and, and what you're portraying with the signage and the exterior, does it match to what someone, somebody's walking into the front door to lease a unit? Um, furthermore, do the units, sort of match to the vision of what the exterior is saying. So, you know, I think that it's not just one of these things. It's basically having a holistic approach to how you tie it all together so that there, it feels like a common vision when you drive into the, to the front door all the way till when you go into the model unit. Got it. Interesting. Because uh, you are looking at more of a cohesiveness of the, the whole units uh, and how they feel rather than a specific item. Right. So, and uh, so let's go to your personal side of it. So you started in 2016, 2006, and then now it's 2019. You bought and sold like 1,000 units. So you must have, uh, I mean, you have a good write on the whole apartment cycle. So why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that ultimately, um, what 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 we're doing here is we're 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 basically building a business that is focused on um, providing a a great value to the community, to the customers, to the people that we rent our units to. Um, I think that's it. Sounds cliche, but actually, I think not enough people not enough people that do what we do actually talk about it. Um, you know, when we come into a property and we invest you know, multiple millions of dollars in the renovations and, and do the transformation of the property. Really what we're doing is we're, we're improving the lives of the community that, that lives there. And um, it makes a big difference. And we get told all the time um, how much uh, they care uh, to see all the stuff that we're doing. And so the first thing is, you know, making a difference in the community, I think is what's really, is really cool. And we've done that over many, many properties now. So we've, we've, we've got to see that time and time again. Um, I think the second thing is, you know, uh, partners, right? So we work with a lot of amazing partners, contractors, um, vendors, uh, lenders, um, you know, uh, lawyers. There's so many that I can go on and on with, but what's really special about what we're doing is that we've developed really close relationships with a lot of these people that have been with us for many years. And so we've become somewhat of friends with them as well as business associates. So, it's really great to kind of see how much our success has impacted their, um, their success as well. And sort of a rising tide flows all boat things uh, mentality is, 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 is where I get a lot of joy, personal satisfaction out of what we've done here. And I think the third thing, you know, is really, is it's about our investors, right? I mean, I can tell you personal stories of many people that, that I'm very good friends with that have come along the ride for us that we have literally changed their lives because of these, these great investments that we've been able to do over the years. And so I think that, you know, uh, this business is about touching people's lives, right? Touching people's lives, uh, in, in every single aspect of what we're doing. That's for me, that's what really makes it fun for me every day.
Would you do this same role for next 20 years? Yeah, of course, man. Because I'm not you... retiring. <laughs> I mean, this is great. You know, we, we, we've got a great team. We've got a great company. Um, and real estate investing to me is, it's, it's more of a lifestyle thing too. So to be honest with you, um, this is something that I, I believe in doing um, re, re, irrespective of my company. This is sort of a personal belief that real estate investing is a very, very um, good way to take the money that you're making from whatever method that you're generating it and pump it into something that's going to give you long-term returns. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Was there a proud moment in real estate uh, that you think you will never forget that, you know, you can write it on your tombstone? Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm going to put anything real estate related on my team. Of course not. <laughs> but a, there was something that you bring, something when you're at, at very old age, you're going to think, I'm really, really proud that I did that. Is that can you describe that moment? No, I don't think I've gotten there yet, man. I think there's okay. still so much more to be done. Um, I, you know, any proud moments, uh, I think they're all stepping stones. Um, we're, uh, every day, I'm telling you, every day I wake up and I'm excited about where we're taking the company things that we're doing to grow the company, uh, new ideas that we've got. And um, I don't think we've, we've reached our full potential in, in any way, shape, form or fashion. Okay. No, what, what I mean uh, is like, uh, did you touch any, um, uh, any employee in a certain way that in terms of changing their life, any tenants, any, any property that you think that we really did a good job in that, that I'm really, really proud of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I, you know, I, I, nothing particular comes to mind. I mean, look, I can give you a million examples, right? But mm -hmm. the very last property, for example, that we, we renovated, I thought that it was the best one we've ever done. And, um, and, I, and I thought that, um, you know, just seeing the, um, the people that have been writing reviews on our property, uh, coming online reviews and whatnot, and, and hearing the feedback that we get from our management, our, our on-site staff, has been so happy um, that we've we've made the change at the property. So yeah, that that's very rewarding to us for sure. Got it, got it. Top three things uh, that you want to advise newbies who want to walk your path. I'm only going to give you one. Okay, I think it's the most important one. Sure. Is uh, and, and and go long, not short. Take take the long road. Do it slow and steady. Um, don't take unnecessary risks and um, Make sure that you build it, you build the foundation and spend your time building the foundation solidly um, before you, 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 you try to go too fast. I think that that's, you know, uh, a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, and I think that, that um, doing it slow and steady is, is there's, there's, there's a lot of benefits to that. And, um, and that's the way that we built our company. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I see so many craze out there on people want to do so, so, so many big things very quickly in real estate now, because it is how the market is right now. Right. So what's your strategy right now in this market cycle? We are, I don't think we really changed our strategy. We've re, we remain and always have been. Um, we are opportunistic buyers mm -hmm. and we're strategic sellers. Um, I, I, I've talked about that before. I did a, I did a blog post on that. And the way that, that, that we've always seen it is strategically speaking, um, if it's the right time to exit an asset, we're going to do it. It's been a great time lately to sell properties. It's also been a great time to keep, to keep properties, be a net keeper. We talk about that too. Um, opportunistically buying simply means that, you know, if we, if we find a great deal 
we don't care whether it's a, it's a hot market or a down market or a sideways market. If it's a great deal and the numbers work, we're going to pull the trigger. Um, we know exactly what we're looking for. We've been around long enough to know that when we see that type of a deal and we've got the right relationships in place with the, um, the brokerage shop to do it, we're going to make it happen. Because what we've seen is we've, we've had some of our best acquisitions in what some people would, would call a, uh, a seller's market or, or, or you know, an, an, uh, a hot market, an up market. Um, and so I think being an opportunistic buyer and always being ready to strike if the right numbers present themselves is where you need to be positioned. Got it. Got it. Before we end, I have to ask you this question, which is completely different from what are the questions I ask uh, normally. It's not in my, you know, uh, usually my mind. But you are from California, investing in Dallas, so you know a lot about these two markets. Yeah. So do you think when recession hits, right? I mean, there's already a lot of people moving to Texas and Florida and, and maybe Phoenix. Do you think when recession happened, there's going to be a lot more people moving in? Moving to Texas? Yes. Oh, I mean, any, like all this Texas and Florida and other markets. Well, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question per se. Uh, but what, what I can tell you is this is um, it's becoming increasingly uh, difficult to be a very smart college graduate uh, in the Silicon Valley and be able to see yourself making a life out here. And so, um, even now with, with the job market being pretty decent, people are still leaving and they're leaving because, you know, they just can't see themselves being willing to spend, uh, you know, so much money to, 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 to buy a house here, uh, on top of the student loans that they've got and on top of the cost of living that they've got with, you know, high rents and whatnot, how do you save, uh, to buy a home here? And so, um, you know, I don't think that that's going to change. And I, and I don't think that it matters whether we have a, a blip in the radar with the recession, the fundamentals are, are, are here are, are such that it's creating a, a very big incentive for people to move out, to go to other States um, where they can look to buy a home with a little bit more ease can, can actually afford to pay rent uh, with a little bit more ease. And so it's natural, naturally speaking, um, we, we as, as a company believe that there's going to be a continual, continual growth in, in markets like Dallas, Fort Worth right now, where rents are still, even as they've gone up, are still below, um, the median affordability across the nation. Obviously Silicon Valley is on the opposite end of that spectrum with San Francisco and San Jose. You got some of the highest. Uh, rents in the nation. So it's very unaffordable for how much people make here. So I personally think that the, the migration away from the coastal communities is going to continue. I don't see that trend uh, stopping anytime soon. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's going to stop. I think it's going to double or triple because when the recession happens, I mean, people are going to lose jobs. I mean, your house mortgage is fixed, right? 30 year fixed. So your house mortgage is not going to reduce, right? So, but if you are losing your job, people are going to take that equity and at least move to cheaper states, like where they can pay less in mortgage and buy better houses and live a, a better life, I guess, in terms of uh, house and expenses, right? Because I realized, I mean, I read some article that on average uh, in the US, somebody's paying like 60% of their pay going to mortgage, right? And I think it's high, much higher in Silicon Valley and Bay Area, right? So what's the point of uh, living and paying 80% to the house, right? <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of other things you want to enjoy, right? So. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> why uh, 
why we're, we're, we're moving our investments out there um, to places like, uh, like Texas, for sure. That's completely agree with that. Got it. Got it. All right, JC, tell our audience how to get hold of you and, uh, you know, if you want to give your contact uh, information. Yeah. You know, uh, if anybody out there uh, wants to uh, check us out, they can go to our website, multifamilypropertygroup.com. Again, multifamilypropertygroup.com. But more importantly, I actually host a, a video podcast uh, with one of my buddies, Paul Peebles, a weekly show. Uh, it's called the Apartment Investor Show. So if you want to actually uh, see us uh, in action talking about how to make smart investments in multifamily, you can go to uh, YouTube and search for the Apartment Investor Show. And we've got a whole host of, of great uh, curated videos um, where we bring in experts and many different facets of multifamily investing. And uh, you might learn a thing or two if you go to that, uh, to our show. I'm sure everybody's going to learn a lot of things because I've seen some of the videos. It was really good. So thank you. Awesome, JC. I think uh, that's it. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, happy you know, that you add a lot of value to our audience and listeners. Yeah. Thanks a lot for hosting. I really appreciate it. Had a good time. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.